Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? <laughs> Forgot the name of my podcast there for a second. To which the answer to that question is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, every episode exactly 20 years after its original air date, which means today is May 18th, 2019. And so that means it's 20 years after graduation day, part one. Even though I've been mentioning this in every single episode for like the last five episodes straight, I'm going to do it again, just in case this is the first time you're tuning in for some reason. Um, I guess you don't say that with podcasts the first time you're tuning in. Whatever. (laughs) I don't care. Um, Okay. So we're talking about graduation day part one, May 18th. We are not talking about graduation day part two until July motherfucking 13th. I don't know what the deal was with the WB at the time pushing it back so far. I mean, surely it was... They were trying to sabotage the show, maybe, or something. I'm pretty sure that the show changed network starting in season four. Or, no, maybe not. I know that my particular town stopped getting the WB when season four started, so I couldn't watch. Season four and season five were inaccessible to me where I live. Um, I couldn't start watching again and I had just started watching Buffy during season three and I couldn't start watching again as I was watching in real time until the premiere of season six. So I was really like, what the fuck is going on right now? (laughs) I didn't know anything about what had happened between, um, because I didn't like keep up with that stuff on the internet and stuff. Anyway, so we're talking about graduation day part one today. Um, let's get into it, I guess. Um, I'm a little sad that, I'm a lot sad, actually, that I have, like, certain rules for myself during this project. Um, really, it's just one simple rule that I only watch the episodes... I'm allowed to watch episodes of Buffy from any season except the current season that I'm um, re-watching, rehashing, re-all the things with you guys. So that means that I don't ever go ahead. I mean, I do technically, I'll watch the episode twice before I talk about it with you guys, at least twice. And so I watch it the first time a couple days before it's actual, you know, anniversary date because the last time I watch it is on the anniversary and that's because I like to, I want to watch it the day, the anniversary day and record on the anniversary day. Usually I would, you know, preferably if all the stars align, I would also like to upload on the actual day um, so that you guys have a chance to listen on the actual day. But unfortunately, usually I don't have the episode out until the wee hours of the morning on Sunday the day after the anniversary day. But anyway, um, what does all that mean? I don't know. First of all, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a disclaimer. (laughs) As has been the custom lately, I had um, a full day. I'm recording at 940 at night. And um, I also, I think I told you guys last week 
that I was going to be getting rid of this gigantic hellmouth tree that's in our backyard. Um, that happened. The tree got taken down, but not out by, um, we hired like a, you know, tree remo removal service and they took it out on Tuesday, but it was going to cost almost twice as much money. I guess not really almost twice as much. They were charging us $1,200 to take the tree down, but if they were going to take it take the pieces with them away from our yard, it would have cost $800 more. So we couldn't afford that. So we elected to have them leave the pieces. And it is so much, you guys. It takes up almost our entire property. And they, they were straight up with us too. They were like, look, we're going to make a huge messier yard and it's going to take up almost your entire property. And they were not wrong. There is so much tree. Like, it was just like, I can't even fathom how much tree. Just having it cut into smaller pieces. There's like a brush pile in our backyard that is like eight feet tall and maybe 15 to 20 feet in diameter. And then... That's not even counting the giant hunks of like the trunk that are outside of our fence line because we have like 15 feet of grass outside of our back fence line before you hit the alley, which is where the tree was located right there by the alley in that little space. Um, oh my God, so much. So all that is just to say that yesterday um, we spent, me and my Michael spent like about five hours um, loading up, um, we had a friend that had a pickup truck. So we did like two or three, I think three loads in the pickup. And then our neighbor, like about 5 PM, like we'd been, our, we'd already been doing this for like three hours at that point. He came over and he has, he's a landscaper. So he has like a flatbed trailer that's holds a lot more than a pickup truck. And we loaded that thing up twice. And after all of that, plus Michael and our friend that has a pickup truck had already done two loads earlier in the week um, in his truck. So in total, five full loads in a pickup truck and two loads in like a 15 foot trailer, maybe. I don't really know how, how long it is. Um, and that was just the chunks of trunk. That is not any of the branches, any of the limbs. We haven't taken any of that away yet. That is all just the chunks of trunk. And I was asking Michael yesterday while we were trying to, like my whole job yesterday was basically to get the big chunks of trunk that were still inside the fence line and get them out by the alley so that they could be loaded onto the truck. And, um, it was like, I asked him like, how much, how heavy do you think these are? And he's like, mm, probably 50, 75, some of them a hundred pounds. It was so hard. You guys, like I haven't done hard labor like that in a long time. And it was very difficult. I had 
several instances where I thought, oh my God, I'm going to die right now. I'm just going to die. <laughs> I physically could not move a lot of those big chunks of trunk. Uh, but we got to the point where with all of those loads that I told you about, hauling them away. I hope this is somewhat interesting to you guys. It's just like all I've been thinking about for like the last 48 hours. So I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of a disclaimer on why I'm brain dead right now. Um, more than usual. Anyway, um, after all that, we were able to get all the trunk out yesterday and now we just have like regular branches it's a lot though it's taking up almost our entire yard and it's way unorganized because I had to dismantle the pile yesterday just to get to all of the bigger logs that were on the bottom because for whatever reason they were not very organized when they left us this wood like a bunch of chunk trunks <laughs> trunk chunks <laughs> a bunch of the trunk chunk chunks they left out by the alley but, and I thought, okay, so they just put the branches over inside the fence line and then they put all the trunk chunks on the outside of the fence line. That makes sense to me. But then I discovered that there were a whole bunch of trunk chunks at the bottom of the brush pile. So it just doesn't make any sense. Why would they do that? Why wouldn't they just put them all outside the fence line? Leave us some semblance of organization unless they passive aggressively wanted us to call them and be like, come back, come back. We'll give you the other $800. I, we can't do this. And a lot of the trunk chunks were like, they had cut them up even because the diameter of this tree is like three feet and they had cut several of them up into smaller like wedges because of how big they are and they still weighed 50 to 100 pounds like I am so sore today you guys so sore so thankfully the only thing we have left is just to like chop up the limbs and we can take our time with that um, get it done eventually like we just have a giant limb pile right now but that's okay um, that's all right <laughs> Oh my god. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, and then we had like some kind of severe weather today and our other tree that is also a hellmouth tree because it's the same species of tree. Um, a couple of the limbs broke today on that tree. So Michael and I have basically decided as soon as we pay off the removal of this tree um, that we just did, it's going to take us like a year to pay that off, maybe more. Um, we're going to just get the other one removed, even though it's, it's way smaller, it's way healthier. Um, but it's just, it's an invasive tree species in my area. So it's not, it's not something that anyone should have. Um, our friend that has the pickup, he said he counted the rings in the tree and he said there were 66 so, and the one that we got taken down, it's, my God. Anyway, it has been a gigantic pain in the ass. So, um, I guess the public service announcement here is that if you have any trees on your property that are in the process of growing and they're still manageable, find out what kind of tree it is. Find out what the common issues with that tree 
can be when they are fully grown. You know, is it the type of tree that's invasive in your area, that does not do well, that rots from the inside? And you have raccoons and worms and standing water and rot, 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 and so many ants, like biting ants all over. You know, maybe think about taking it down. Manage it while you still can. Don't let it grow for 66 years if it's an invasive tree species in your area. Do not let hellmouth trees exist, you guys. It's funny, like, I, at one point I was talking to the tree when I was all alone. One of the times that they took one of the loads. And I was just trying to get the logs out to, like, the alleyway. I was talking to the tree, like, I'm sorry. I know it's not your fault. You're just trying to grow somewhere that you were never meant to be. It's not your fault that you're a hellmouth tree. But you are. <laughs> okay, this has been... What's up with Mixtress? Hellmouth Tree Edition. Speaking of hellmouths, mouths, let's talk about graduation day part one. So, the, my first note is Cordelia wanted teal. Classy girl. Man, I tell you, those maroon graduation day, graduation day, graduation robes that they are picking out, that they're picking up at the beginning of this episode, they look exactly like my graduation robes. Like, I know that, like, that's not saying much. Like, graduation robes look like graduation robes, and there aren't that many colors. I'm sure a lot of people had maroon graduation robes for their high school. That's what I had. <laughs> that is exactly what I had. So, um, even more of a kinship with Buffy is, is what I'm saying that I have. Um, and the, the very first scene of the episode is Cordelia and Xander kind of having a regular conversation. They're not really putting each other down. Like, you know, there's a little bit of snark back and forth, but there's always been snark back and forth between them. So it's kind of an evolved conversation. You know, you can tell that, you know, there's good naturedness between them. You can tell that they've both like put closure on everything that happened between them. And that's nice. Um, I wrote down the little exchange at the end of their conversation, which when Xander says, he's like explaining this big long thing about how he's going to die at the Ascension and blah, 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 blah. And there's a lot of Xander in this episode. You know why? Because Joss Whedon wrote it and that's Joss's surrogate character. So of course there's going to be lots of Xander in this episode. In fact, most of the plot is driven by men in this episode. You know? you know? And at one point Xander says, you know what I mean? And Cordelia just says, seldom if ever, which is great. <laughs> um, everyone's super sentimental. They're signing each other's yearbooks, you know, the, their classes and their finals are almost over. Um, basically it's like their last day of school, pretty much of their last couple of days of school. And like everybody's hugging. Um, Buffy's wearing Buffy blue. And she has a matching Buffy blue backpack on. So cute. At one point, so I took a little bit of, an of, of offense to this. <laughs> Buffy's like, it's everyone's so sentimental, blah, blah, blah. I think it's contagious. Like everybody's being super sweet to each other, signing each other's yearbooks, blah, blah, blah. And Buffy's like, it's like the 60s or what I would imagine the 60s to be like, um, except with less hairy armpits. Like, come on, Buffy. <laughs> 
I'm so glad that hairy armpits are, I feel like, I mean, maybe it's just me because I decided to stop shaving my armpits a few years ago. Um, and maybe I'm just like noticing more other people that don't shave their armpits. Um, maybe it hasn't actually trended into being a thing more often, but I gotta tell you, just as a side note, if you are a female presenting person that has always, um, female identifying person, I guess, not presenting, female identifying person that has always shaved their armpits, if you've never tried not doing it, I would recommend it at least once in your life. Um, and, and that goes with all body hair. Um, you gotta get past the, the phase where you're just like, you can't stand it because you're not used to not shaving and it feels really weird. And if you go through that shame and stigma until you get on the other side of it, at that point, you will know whether or not it's something you actually want to do. Because I've done that and basically I decided that it's much more comfortable for me to not shave my armpits. And most of the time I don't shave my legs either, but I ultimately decided that I do want to shave my legs occasionally, but I don't ever want to shave my pits again. But I got through that stigma part, you know, that whole like being embarrassed if somebody sees you with the hairy armpits. I mean, I still have some of that, like you can't take all of that culture completely out of you. You know, I still like every once in a while, whenever I know I'm wearing something where you can tell, I will be a little bit nervous about it, but overall people have been very supportive, you know, <laughs> they'll just like, when they notice that I have hairy armpits, they'll just be like, yeah, that's badass. I even have like, um, one of my friends, her daughter is, I think she's like 18 now, but it, this was back when she was like 15 or 14 or something when I was working in the teen department at the library and she's one, she was one of the teen volunteers. So she was there a lot. One day she, she just sort of noticed and she asked me some questions about it. And then later I noticed that her armpits are hairy too. And like, I guess she, I don't know if she told me or she told her mom and her mom told me, I think she told her mom and her mom told me that she was like inspired by the fact that I didn't shave my armpits and now she doesn't. And that's just totally awesome. Anyway, that's just my own personal thing. Like I feel strongly about the armpit thing because hairy armpits have set me free. You guys, like I used to, I, I, have pretty sensitive skin. So like shaving my armpits was never a comfortable situation for me. And when I stopped doing it, it's just, it's so comfortable now. Like I don't ever have that like raw, you know, that feeling when your armpits are uncomfortable, where it kind of just feels like there's a golf ball inside your pit or something. Like I had that feeling a lot when I shaved my armpits, but now I don't have it at all. I'm just comfortable. Um, yeah. So <laughs> that's your little side public service announcement about hairy armpits. I love mine and they're real hairy. Like a lot of people, it's cute when they grow their armpit hair out. Cause it's just like a, a tiny little poof of red 
hair or something, but mine's just like a full-on forest in each pit, but it's fine. I'm okay with it. I embrace it. Okay, I swear at some point we will be talking about this episode. (laughs) So my next note was the mayor will ascend at graduation, but I don't think they really have put that together yet in retrospect because Xander just basically he's exposition guy in this episode he knows everything in this episode which makes no goddamn sense except the fact that joss whedon wrote and directed this episode anyway so xander lets buffy and willow know that the mayor is going to be the their um commencement speaker at their graduation so they know that he's going to be there because Buffy's sort of debating on whether or not she's even going to go to graduation. She's like, I need to fight the mayor. I don't know if I want to worry about graduation right now. And Xander's like, you can do both. Um, the next scene is Faith kills a volcanologist, which is super sad. Because he's just sort of this bumbling, overweight 70 year old I 70 is just a guess um professor you know it's just sad and yeah then there's this scene okay this is gross the scene really grosses me out a lot and I will tell you why it's a lot of me putting my shit into a situation that I know nothing about full disclosure but do you guys remember like two years ago or so when all that stuff came out about Joss Whedon being like um cheating on his wife a whole bunch and maybe being a predatory guy um like his wife basically came out with all the all the stuff his ex-wife came out with all the stuff that like you know like he's gaslighted her for years he you know blah 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 And she sort of mentioned in the letters that she released to the public that it, it kind of all started with Joss having an affair with a young actress on Buffy. So it only, he was only the showrunner on Buffy for like the first three seasons. Like Marty Noxon becomes the showrunner from season four on, I believe. So, because he just kind of goes off and starts doing Angel. He doesn't really have much of a hand in things in general, starting with season four. So, um, the only thing I can think, and they haven't released who this young actress is, but the only actress that is relatively young at this point, other than Sarah Michelle Gellar, and I don't think it was her, is Elijah Dusku. So my theory is that his affair was with her. And she is very much, like from what I know about her as a person, she's very much like this character that we see Faith as. At this point in her life, she was very much like that. And she's had some, she had had some really bad experiences in her past because she had been in movies for a long time and like the director of one of the movies that she was in when she was very young she came out about like some sexual misconduct molestation or something I don't know what the situation was but in any case he took advantage of her when she was very young 
So she was really hurting at this time in her life. And at this point she had, I think, dropped out of high school and got a GED or something. She was, when she was filming this season three as Faith, she was like 16, 17, 18. She was very young. She might've been 18 or 19, but still the youngest on the cast, probably. And so this scene with the mayor, it just, knowing that Joss wrote and directed this episode when he was probably in the midst of an affair with Elijah Dusku, that's just me. Like, this is just my supposition. I have no proof. Keep that in mind. <laughs> but I'm going with this is my own, this is how my brain works. This is how I think it happened. So he's writing this scene where the mayor dresses Faith up in this frilly pink dress and tells her that she doesn't know who she is because she's saying this isn't me and she feels very weird. Why is he having her put on this pink frilly dress? It's, it's really kind of gross. He's waiting for her to change into this dress and then he tells her that she doesn't know who she is yet and all of this stuff and he's like tidying up her room while she's changing and like you know folding up her blankets and like putting all of her things in order and like controlling her environment and it, to the extent that he's making her dress in something that she would never normally wear and just the implications of that a man that is decades older than she is just like Joss Whedon was Joss Whedon was in his like early 30s at this point if he was having an affair with Elijah Dushku who was you know 18 that's gross so gross anyway um I really this scene makes me uncomfortable I don't like it at all I'm really glad that we never ever ever see Faith dressing like this for the mayor ever again except in I think the next season we see one of Faith's dreams while she's in the coma she is wearing something similar to this dress while she's having a conversation with the mayor so in a dream world she is wearing a dress similar to this which makes total sense that you know if he had forced her to wear a dress like that at one point that she would dream about it later anyway that scene makes me uncomfortable I don't like it I also wrote down I don't think we've maybe once but to my recollection we've never heard faith call things wicked anything you know like even though she's from boston i, I think i think it's been mentioned that she's from boston obviously her accent is very boston um but we've never really heard her say wicked anything but in this episode and i wrote it down she says wicked stupid wicked gross and wicked painful at some point or another <laughs> so i think that's pretty funny i think maybe like the first episode she was ever introduced when she's like telling stories to everybody she might have said wicked at one point but it's not something that she says often so it just seemed kind of funny that she says it three times in this episode um, we get this little scene with Percy and Percy's the, the guy that Snyder, the kid that Snyder forced Willow to tutor and what he really wanted was for her to do his homework for her, for him. And 
then, you know, Vamp Willow sort of, you know, put him in his place and he thought it was her. And so he's been a good little student ever since. He got a B minus on his history final. And so he's calling himself a scholar and he's like thanking Willow for helping him study and all that stuff. So it's a sweet little moment. Um, Willow has a happy face backpack. Spoiler alert. That is my object of the episode. Like it's just a fuzzy little happy face backpack. I love mini backpacks. There are several mini backpacks in this episode. It's, it's what I use as a purse right now. And I'm thinking I might want more because I always use a backpack as a purse, but if it's a smaller backpack, it's easier to manage. So I love a mini backpack. What can I say? It would be kind of hilarious for me to have one with a happy face on it since I'm such a goth girl. Um, anyway, um, Anya is just really being very persistent about pursuing Xander in this episode, which I think is also, you know, it's, you know, <laughs> I'm going to be complaining a lot about the fact that Joss wrote and directed this episode because, and in the next episode as well, you know, of course we're going to get lots of scenes with Xander. We're going to get lots of scenes with Anya throwing herself at Xander because this is what... Joss basically wrote the Xander character to be like fulfilling all the fantasies that he wished that he could have as a nerdy little boy when he was in high school. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Ugh. So Anya is asking Xander out and he's like, I, you know, I don't know. And she says men, and she suggests that they like watch sports. She's like, men like sports. I'm sure of it. Um, there's a scene in the library where Giles and Wesley are like fencing and Giles is like barely looking at Wesley and he's fighting him off easily while Wesley is like doing like perfect form and like paying all of his attention to fighting Giles. It's hilarious. Hilarious little physical comedy moment between Alexis Denisoff as Wesley and Anthony Stewart Head as Giles. Um... It's it's funny because at one point in the conversation they're talking about oh they're talking about the volcanologist that just got killed and Buffy's saying I know this is Faith like I recognize her brush I recognize her piece this is her brushwork which on the front page of the paper there would not be pictures of a dead guy like that's what they're looking at is the, is the fucking paper but anyway um. Buffy says, I don't kill people. I can't kill Faith. Because, you know, she's talking about, you know, what if she runs into Faith when she goes to look at the volcanologist's apartment to look for clues on why the mayor would want him dead? Because if Faith did it, then it's because the mayor ordered her to, etc. Um, so obviously they wanted to show that at this point, Buffy is saying, I can't kill her. I won't kill her. I don't kill people. I'm not like Faith. She's saying this at the beginning of the episode because we're going to see that she, you know, feels completely differently when Angel's involved. But I don't think they earn that, you know? 
it's just like it's almost like maybe Joss was away just like worrying about starting Angel or something else and they just sort of swooped back in for the last couple episodes of the season which is what he does a lot um it just didn't seem earned that like she was dropping this tiny nugget of I can't kill her and then as soon as her ex-boyfriend's life is threatened she's immediately ready to kill her I mean we'll get there that's the biggest problem I have with this episode um my next note is Xander drags Anya to the library he's like so she sort of offhandedly meant or he mentions that like when she's asking him out during class he's like well if we survive the if I survive the ascension then sure let's talk about dating and she hears the word ascension and she freaks because she's actually seen one before because she's a thousand years old so he drags her by the arm like he's actually pulling her by the arm into the library this bothers me this is something that like if you pay attention in tv shows you see this happen all the time men are pulling women by their arm all the time you see it watch you will notice it happening all the time and it's just it's so like can you imagine someone actually grabbing you by your upper arm and like you see them pulling at people dragging them he's dragging her when they walk into the library not okay xander not okay also he calls her sweetheart later in the episode <laughs> never drag a woman by her arm and never call her sweetheart okay never <laughs> um this is the scene where we learn from Anya talking about um, ascensions. She says that as an ascension is when somebody becomes a human, transforms into a full 100% demon. And they, she sort of, you know, does the exposition here of you've never actually seen a full demon. All the demons that you've ever fought are hybrids just like vampires because vampires are kind of like half human, half demon. And so this is something else this is something bigger and more powerful this is a real 100 percent demon um i don't know if this is the same i don't know if anya's still there when the mayor comes in i don't remember but the mayor comes into the library at one point and you know he's just i don't know trying to intimidate everybody or something i don't know he's just being his charming self and at some point he says something buffy says something snarky towards him and he replies with it's um instead of responding directly to buffy he responds to giles and says something about the way that that he raised her or something the way that giles raised her you raised a spunky one or something like that and then he says i'm gonna eat her and Giles immediately, he still has like the fencing foil in his hand and he um, impales the mayor. And of course the mayor is impervious. So he just pulls it out and he's super casual about it. And he throws it back to Giles and he says some threatening shit and then he leaves. Anya tells Xander that she is leaving. She's not going to stick around. Um, and Cordelia sees some of the end of that freak out and comes up to talk to Xander and she's like what's with her and Xander's like well she's freaking about the ascension 
we're all gonna die the mayor's gonna kill us all he's gonna become a demon and cordelia didn't know all the details of all of this and she just doesn't even like miss a beat she's like uh are you gonna go to the final period sandra's like i'm thinking about skipping she's like me too and then they walk off so that was a cute little moment like what did they do did they skip a whole period together what did Xander and Cordelia do? <laughs> like, are we supposed to think that they're like on friendly enough terms that they would hang out together for an hour or two? Like, I don't know. That just seems weird. I don't know. Anyway, the next scene is Buffy is packing a bag for Joyce, which first of all, you don't know what she wants to pack. You can't pack for your mother. And she's like talking her into we assume like she you don't see her actually agree but we assume that Joyce is actually going to leave town Buffy is sending her away so that she will not be around to get killed during the ascension and Joyce is like I don't want to miss your graduation especially if you have to fight a big a big demon I can't like just leave you here to fight and Buffy's like, look, this is the one thing that I do really well. I'm sorry I'm not like other girls. I'm sorry I'm not like other daughters. I wish I could be a lot of things for you. Which is an interesting, like, I think it might be giving too much credit to any of the writers of Buffy, namely Joss Whedon himself, to say that this is a coming out allegory, but that this is continuing the coming out allegory that was that began in season two whenever Buffy was outed as a slayer to her mom. I think it might be giving the show too much credit to say this is a continuation of that, but it does kind of harken back to it. Like, I wish I could be a lot of things for you, but this is what I am instead. I can't be your normal daughter that you maybe thought you were going to have when you had me. Um, but she just says, you know, this is something that I'm good at. This is something that I can do, but I need you to be safe. You're going to get me killed if you stay. So she's sending her mother away. I don't know where, but somewhere. Um, then we get the scene between Oz and Willow. We see that Amy is still a rat. Willow is really freaking out. Um, she's trying to find a spell to stop the ascension and she's just, she's not coming up with anything and she's freaking out and Oz is being his regular self and she's like why are you not panicking you know um you know you could pretend to care just a little bit and Oz is like you think I don't care and he's like do you want me to panic and she's like yes that would be very helpful if you could panic and then he starts making out with her and um later we find out that they did it that Willow lost her virginity anyway if only we could be so lucky <laughs> i don't know about you but my first time was nothing like oz okay it's nothing like that moment i mean there was no apocalypse either so that's good i guess anyway um the quote in this particular scene is like willow's going on and on about how like she can't find the right spell it's like if you want a spell to turn everyone into shrimp or like i don't know what she says i don't even remember and oz just says our lives are different than other people's 
Um, the next scene is Buffy's at the volcanologist's house looking for clues as to why maybe the mayor would want him dead. And Angel stops by because Giles sent him to help. And he sort of like trips into the doorway whenever he comes in, which is a nice little bit of foreshadowing into, you know, he's about to have his own series and there are a lot of funny little moments like this. This becomes one of Angel's character traits that he's just like, every once in a while, he's just like a little slapsticky, just like a tiny bit clumsy and, you know, just like at unexpected moments, he will just trip, you know? Um, it's not overdone. It's a nice little subtle character trait of Angel's and it's nice to see it here because it's like they already knew they were going to kind of do that with him and they really haven't done that with him up until this point. So that's kind of a glimpse of the man that he will become when he has his own show. Um, they sort of fight because Buffy's like, you know, I don't really want your help right now. We're broken up now. Like, get out of my face, which is legit. Totally legit. Like, him just showing up in the middle. I mean, he's just there to help. But, like, he's acting very cavalier about the breakup, which doesn't make any sense because he's less emotionally secure than Buffy is. So it doesn't make sense that he would be acting like he's got a handle on it and he doesn't understand her emotions. That doesn't track at all. That's totally unrealistic. And then, and then he tells Buffy she's acting like a brat. <gasps> that is egregious. Later, Xander set calls Anya sweetheart, and at this point, Angel says that Buffy is acting like a brat. She is not acting like a brat. She's acting, she's having an emotional reaction to her ex-boyfriend that she's very in love with, who's very in love with her, just show up and try to help out oh, in a demony situation. Sorry. I keep, I have this bat and it's in my little recording space right now and I keep like playing with it and accidentally kicking it over and I've just made all kinds of noise in several different recordings that I have done in the last few days. I really need to take this bat out of this room. It's too tempting. I play with it too much. Um, okay. Acting like a brat. Um, and then while they're having this like fight out in the street outside the volcanologist apartment, Faith from the Sunnydale sign <laughs> How poetic is that? Um, impales Angel with a crossbow. And she's a great shot because she got him just the left of his heart. And that was her intention. Um, the And the way that you get that exposition is some random vampire that is with Faith says, miss the heart. And Faith says, meant to. So that's, that's just a nice little moment. So Angel is poisoned. Um... Wesley actually, Buffy takes him back to the library in order to take the arrow out of his chest. I don't know why that makes sense, but she does. And that's when they realize that he's poisoned. And um, Wesley offers. He just says, or does somebody ask him to count to contact the council? No, I think he offers. I think he just says, I'll contact the, the council has a record of all toxins. I will contact them immediately. So you do see a sort of 
there is a character shift happening within Wesley already. And we will see much more of that when we start talking about Angel, the show. Um, but, you know, he's graduated from graduation day part one. He's graduated from, you know, being completely follow the rules, bumbling, no experience in the real world watcher guy to offering to call the council to seek help for a vampire. So he's learned by being on the front lines, like anyone would being on the front lines versus just learning about things from afar. He has seen some nuance in behaviors and real life situations that he normally would not have seen nuance in. So that is important to note that Wesley is already evolving, even though this is only like his, I don't know, fifth, sixth episode that he's been in. Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. Oh, and then we get the aftermath. So Oz and Willow did in fact do it, obviously. And she's like babbling on and on about how I feel different. Do you feel different? You wouldn't feel different because you've never had sex. You've had sex before. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Or she doesn't actually say it. Actually say had sex before. But and he's like, no, I do. I do feel different. And then the phone rings because they need all hands on deck to save Angel. Which, why... I just really think that, like, I mean, Buffy would care enough to do whatever it takes to save Angel. That makes sense. But everybody swooping in to make sure that he's okay after everything he's done to everyone? I don't know. I call a little bit of bullshit on that. A little bit of bullshit on that. Um, then there's the scene between the mayor and Faith. The mayor's about to... He's got his box of spiders and he's about to ingest several of them because that's something that he has to do in order to fulfill the ascension. And it's, it's kind of a sweet scene. Like, I don't like a lot of the scenes between Faith and the mayor. Uh, some of them make me really uncomfortable, but this one doesn't. Um, in contrast to the one earlier in the episode, this one is nice because he's just getting ready to eat these spiders and she's like, what's up? What do you want me to do? She, you know, tells him that she shot Angel and that was their whole plan was just to distract Buffy by having to save Angel from whatever the poison is. That was her whole plan. And she's like, I did it. And then she starts telling me story. She starts kind of opening up to him and... He tells her that he's proud of her. I think he said that in the other scene that made me uncomfortable. He said something like he referred to himself as a father and that he was proud of her and all this stuff. But in this scene, you see him just like listening to her. She starts telling him a story about, you know, how first he calls her a firecracker and she's like, oh, my mom used to call me that. And she just like gets wistful for a second. And then she starts telling a story about how she was the most badass kid because she used to jump off the quarry and all this stuff. And none of the older kids would do it because they were too scared. And he and he's like genuinely engaged listening to her. He's amused by her. He likes her. So that is just, a, that is a nice moment, you know? Um, Where are we? And you see, also you see Faith 
acting in a way that I don't think we've seen her before. She just like drops her guard. So that's kind of nice that like with her relationship between her and the mayor, she didn't necessarily, she has been pretty guarded with him. Like she's willing to do whatever to earn his trust and she, but she still had her mask up. And I feel like this is the first time you see her with the mask down. She really just relaxes and she starts telling him a story about her childhood. You would never see Faith doing that. So it just goes to show you, whether evil or not, if you give a girl a place to stay and listen to her and appreciate her and respect her a little bit, she's going to open up a, just a smidge, you know? It's just really nice to see Faith with her guard dropped and mo nice little moments with Faith. We got to soak them up while we can because, you know, she's in a coma now. Um... Okay, what's my next note? Oz and Willow did it in her bed. I was a little surprised that... Oh, I, I went back a scene, sorry. I was a little... Just a little side note. I was surprised that this all happened at Willow's house. I mean, maybe Willow's parents weren't there or... I mean, I guess they don't really pay that much attention to her anyway. So, whatever. Um... Anya shows up at the library at one point and it's in the middle of the night. She's got her car ready to go. She's got all her shit packed and she asks, she asks Xander to go with her. I call a little bit of bullshit on this too, because like I get that like for whatever reason, Anya's attracted to Xander, which doesn't really make sense because the whole reason why she is cursed to human form and to live out a mortal life is because a mortal life is because Xander cheated on Cordelia and Cordelia's extreme pain is what called Anya there in the first place. Why would she be attracted to the very person that cursed her to a mortal existence? That makes no goddamn sense. But even putting that aside, assuming that for whatever reason she's attracted to him and she wants to date him, she, why would she be asking him to go with her? Why would she want to like whisk him away to another life when all they did was go to the prom together? You know, that makes no sense. Anyway, don't pick apart the plot, especially in Joss Whedon written episodes. Um, cause you'll just go crazy. Um, Xander calls Anya sweetheart and I like, I like just like the juxtaposition of like the, the moment that he calls her sweetheart, she says, fine, I hope you die. <laughs> and then there's like a beat and she says, are we going to kiss? <laughs> but I just love that. I think that's the proper response. If anyone ever calls you sweetheart, just say, fine, I hope you die. Um, my next note is Angel so sweaty. Oh my God. He's so sweaty. My mom couldn't handle it. She really doesn't like sweaty people. And she was just really squirming a lot watching how much Angel was sweating in this episode, which just calls into, I mean, it's a whole other thing. Like, first of all, why would a poison affect a vampire? Because a poison, they're sort of like 
setting this up as being something that's slowly spreading throughout his bloodstream, but his blood doesn't move, right? He doesn't breathe, breathe. His blood doesn't move. I can't even like pronounce things right now, you guys. He doesn't breathe. His blood doesn't move. So why? Why does the poison work on him? A, B, why is he sweating? Why would a vampire sweat? Also, why would a vampire be able to have sex? Like, I think if your blood doesn't move, you should be kind of like an Anne Rice vampire. You know, you should just be like stone. (laughs) You can't have sex. You can't breathe. You can't... Anyway, don't pick apart the plot. Don't pick apart the plot. Oh my God, I cannot speak. Okay. Um, The next scene is... On the one hand, it's really kind of awesome, empowering moment because Buffy just quits the council. Basically, Wesley shows up at Angel's apartment where they're all keeping watch over his poisoned, sweaty self. And he, Wesley just says, you know, the council will not help because they don't help vampires. They refuse. It's, you know, against the laws of the council. And that's when Buffy says, okay, I guess I don't work for the council anymore. You guys can just close up shop until the next layer. Which is a fair point because what? why does a Watcher's Council exist if not to serve the Slayer? And the Slayer doesn't get paid? I know, I am always pointing that out, but I can't help it. It pisses me off. So she quits. She just basically says, I'm not going to work for you guys anymore. I don't need a Watcher. I'm not doing this. And there's this great moment where, like, as she's talking, Giles... I mean, not that he would need to do this. Like, obviously he's going to be on Buffy's side with this, but he physically puts himself on her side. He walks over to stand next to her, literally, while they're, while Buffy and um, Wesley are having this conversation. And of course, Wesley's just sort of flabbergasted and he's like, mutiny. And she's like, I like to think of it as graduation. Cheesy as fuck. But okay, here's the problem that I have with this. The problem that I have with this is the thing that caused Buffy to decide that she wasn't going to work for the council anymore. And I realize this is just the last straw. It makes sense. It's just the last straw. Is that her ex-boyfriend is dying from poison and the council refuses to help her. So that's what gets her to choose to quit the council. I've never thought of it that way before, but that just sort of pissed me off this time. It just did. So there it is. Um, so they find out Buffy goes to, she leaves Giles to watch over Angel, which is hilarious, isn't it? After all the torture that he has suffered at Angel's hands, he's now watching over him while he's like dying from poison. Anyway, sorry, you guys. For any Angel lovers out there, I don't dislike Angel. I really don't. I just dislike Angel and Buffy together. They are not good for each other. I will enjoy Angel so much more when he's on his own series. And I mean, very unpopular opinion, but out of all of Buffy's boyfriends, a reminder, this isn't a spoiler-free podcast. I know I've already said spoilers before this moment in this particular episode, but this is not a spoiler-free podcast. I bring up shit that happens years in the future all the time. Unpopular opinion. 
but I think Buffy's best boyfriend is Riley. Spike is awful. Angel is insufferable. Riley is sane, and for the most part, he respects Buffy. And he really cares about her. And he's there when he when she needs him. Like, I'm not saying that she should have ended up with him. I think the fact that the series ends with Buffy not being with any particular guy is the right choice. Um, the first choice is Buffy being single. But second choice is Riley. He's a good guy. Anyway. <laughs> yes, he's the least attractive. I mean... He is. Yes, he's like the least intelligent. Yes, he's the least like um the least warrior-like, you know, like he's not super physically powerful. He's not a super thing like her vampire boyfriends. But anyway, we'll get there because season four is next season. Um, okay, so here's where we get into the part of the episode that pisses me off the most. So they find out that the antidote to the poison is, to this particular poison, is draining a slayer's blood. First of all, Oz finds the answer. <laughs> it's just so many plot points in this episode are push forward by the men. So just pointing that out, just pointing it out. Um, in a Joss Whedon ridden episode. So they find out that draining a Slayer's blood and Buffy immediately is like, well, I can get you a Slayer. I can get him a Slayer right now. Here I go. She doesn't even hesitate. And I realized that like this particular Again, I might be giving the show too much credit to think to that this is backed up, that this is, this is intentional. We see in at the end of season five when Buffy chooses to, when she basically tells everyone, if you hurt my sister, even though that will save the entire world, I will kill you. She has a completely opposite reaction to at the end of season two when she sacrificed Angel to save the world. And this is a plot point that is in the hands of Marty Noxon, who did most of the writing of that particular storyline, I think. I may be wrong. Um, in her hands, that's done much more gracefully. And I don't know if that's what they're trying to do here, if they're trying to show that Buffy chooses... She goes back and forth. You know, sometimes she will make the huge personal sacrifice to save the world. And sometimes she is unwilling to. And, you know, they make a point to show that it's, that it's her choice that she, you know, she evolves on this. She goes back and forth on this. Um, at this particular moment, she is willing to kill a human being to save her ex-boyfriend who has tortured her friends and is a 
vampire that has wreaked a lot of havoc on the world for 242 years. I mean, some of those years he wasn't wreaking any havoc, but still. I think this is really unearned. Like, if she was going to get to a point where she was willing to sacrifice faith, I think, I just think it wasn't earned. I don't think we're there. I don't think she goes from zero to I'm ready to kill a human, which is a very important distinction in this particular, in the Buffy verse. They're very serious about like, you don't kill humans. Even if they are evil, you let human laws, i.e., you know, the police, whatever, deal with human problems. You do not kill humans. You only kill demons, vampires, blah, blah, blah. That is a very important distinction. And they really don't give this any gravity. They just sort of, they just sort of immediately, immediately Buffy is like, okay, I'll get you Slayer. Fate's been evil lately. I'll kill her to save Angel. Like it ain't nothing. And I find huge problem with this. I don't think that this is in Buffy's character to react in this way, just because Faith has been, yes, Faith has gone to the dark side. She has killed two humans now, one by accident and one on purpose. She's been working for the mayor, you know, like she, I get that, but they gave up on her really quickly. And I just, I don't know. Obviously I'm always on the side, the side of faith, but this is just really, they always with Buffy at the very least, her emotions are given weight and her actions have consequences. But in this particular case, her deciding to kill a human, someone that there's no one else that has, she has the most in common with this person than any other person in this universe. And I guess there's a little bit of self-hatred there, you know, as we will see whenever they fight later, you can draw a little bit of that from it because she dresses like Faith when she goes to fight Faith because she's sort of finally giving Faith the validation that she's been asking for since the beginning of their friendship. She wanted Buffy so many times. She wanted Buffy to admit that they have similarities, that they go through similar things because they're both slayers and Buffy would never admit that she had some of those like more primitive base instincts as a slayer. She always acted like she was above all that shit and would not commiserate with Faith at all. And, and ironically, she commiserates with her right before she intends to kill her. So there seems to be some self-hatred there, right? Psychologically. But anyway, anyway, so I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but barely. I need to talk about, um, right before Buffy shows up to kill Faith to save Angel. Xander sort of follows her while she, while she's going to the book drop slash weapons cabinet in the library. And, um, he, he's like, are you sure about this? And he says, I don't want to lose you. And Buffy's like, I'm not going to get hurt. And he's like, that's not what I meant. So this is one of the very first, um, indications of Xander's character 
as he as he evolves he's going to become more of like the voice of reason kind of the counselor um the guy that sees things that no one else sees kind of thing which i mean he's not like that very often but every once in a while we get one of these conversations between him and buffy where he's sort of like privately just between the two of them he's like hey i see what you're doing and you might want to think about this he has a couple of these moments this is one of them so he just sort of tracks her down he's like you know and with very little words he just says i don't want to lose you and she's like i'm not going to get hurt and he's like that's not what i mean and then he sort of gives her a meaningful look and you see it all in that it's like yeah if she chooses to kill a human you know what are the consequences where do you go from there and i guess we're supposed to think because she ends up in a coma instead of actually dying that that's why buffy doesn't suffer the consequences and she doesn't have much more than a couple of scary dreams every once in a while that include faith i mean they really just do not think of faith as an important enough character to really take a psychological toll on buffy for actually trying to kill her i don't know anyway obviously i got lots of problems with that plot line um so the next so he, right after xander tells buffy i don't want to lose you we see buffy getting ready to go over there and she's like splashing water on her face and she looks at herself in the mirror and there's a sticker on the mirror like a decorative sticker that says lost right after xander says i don't want to lose you she's splashing water on her face and there's a sticker right next to her head that says lost that's not an accident and i've never noticed that before just thought i'd point it out in case you haven't ever noticed it either um then we get to see faith she's by herself in her apartment she's listening to music and she's listening to what is it spectator pumps there you go <laughs> she's listening to spectator pumps she's wearing like these dark glittery jeans she's reading a comic book while eating a twizzler which is amazing and um then buffy shows up and you can tell that faith is kind of happy because buffy's giving her validation that she would never give her before she shows up in like shiny not quite vinyl like it's this other material that was popular in 1999 in fact i had red shiny pants almost exactly like buffy's pants in the scene <laughs> um man i wish i had some more of those pants but so she comes in in her shiny red pants and a black shirt and like a leather jacket and she's like yeah i guess i wrote down some of the dialogue between the two of them um first first note was mayor got her the poison did he know so again i'm giving i don't think the show meant for us to think that the mayor picked this poison on purpose because it might put faith in jeopardy i don't think he did because it's obvious later when a vampire tells the mayor that there's trouble at faith's um his eyes get really wide and he gets very scared for faith you can tell that 
that that's what's happening. Because at first I was thinking, okay, if he, since he's the one that picked out this particular poison to poison Angel, um, did he pick knowing that the only antidote was a slayer's blood and that maybe Buffy would not only be preoccupied with finding the cure for Angel, but she might even take Faith out? Or they might take each other out. Is he secretly hoping that she will be taken care of so that she doesn't, he doesn't have to worry about what her role is going to be with him once he's a hundred percent demon? Because he told her earlier in that touching scene between the two of them, when she starts talking about some of her past with him and opens up to him and lets her guard down a little bit, he said something like, she's like, so you'll still need me whenever you ascend and he's like always so I for a second I was like okay well maybe he just really wants to have her out of the way and that's why he chose this particular poison but when you see how upset he gets when he finds out that she has been put in a coma and how he just sort of he completely loses his cool in the next episode at the hospital when he goes to visit and he sees Giles there or no he Buffy is also in a coma? Oh yeah, because she offers her blood to Angel. That hasn't happened yet. That'll be in the next episode. But he, like, tries to suffocate Buffy in her sleep. Because they're both in a coma together. Um, I think the next episode is going to be a lot more interesting. This is the first time since the actual airing of these two episodes. Because I know I was watching this at the time, but I don't actually have a memory of how agonizing it was to wait almost two months to see the second part of this episode. But I know I was watching it at the time that it was on. So it must have been awful, but I don't remember. I don't remember how it felt to wait two months to watch the second part. I guess I had a lot of my own shit going on at that time. So maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. But this is the first time since then that I've had to wait in between this. You know, normally if I watched part one of Graduation Day, I would have just immediately watched part two, you know? I'm not going to separate that, but I have to this time. So, um, anyway, what was my point? Okay. So Faith, okay, one of their first exchanges after Buffy tells them that like, you know, guess what? The antidote is a slayer's blood, blah, blah, blah. Faith says, look at you all dressed up in big sister's clothes. And then Buffy says, you told me I was just like you, that I was holding it in. Faith says, ready to cut loose. And then Buffy, try me. Faith says, give us a kiss. And that's when they start fighting. One thing I will say, the score in this fight scene between the two of them is incredibly distracting. It's just, it's too bombastic or something. Like, I don't know. I think this, and it's not shot particularly well either. And the choreography is not great. It's not terrible. I think if it was shot better, it could have, I mean, this is a knockdown, drag out fight between two slayers. This should have been, I mean, I get that that's like a low budget, blah, blah, blah. It's a TV show from 1999, low budget, but it could have been so much more beautiful to watch. It could have been so awesome. And it really kind of wasn't that awesome. Um, I, 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 you know, retrospectively, I don't think it's like fight choreography's fault. I think it's, you know, 
Joss Whedon wasn't really that worried about the shots and the action sequences, you know? Um, and he was the director in this episode, after all. He just, he can't direct this kind of shit. He's not good at it. Um, so it was a little lackluster because the score was off and, you know, the, the way that it was shot was also off. It wasn't really great. It was just, it, I don't know, it just kind of made you nervous the whole time, which of course you would be nervous, but it just didn't lend the right emotional gravity or the satisfaction that you would expect from watching two badass slayers fight each other, you know? Um, <laughs> Buffy at one point handcuffs Faith to her so that she can't leave. She pulls the handcuffs apart because, you know, Slayer strength. And then Buffy, at the end of the fight, she pulls out Faith's knife that the mayor gave her. And she's like, hey, that's my knife. And Buffy says, you're about to get it back. Kudos to Sarah Michelle Gellar in that, in the delivery of that line, because she doesn't say you're about to get it back like a badass. She says, you're about to get it back. I can't even do it the way that she did it because her voice kind of cracks and you can tell she's not sure of herself. That's really the only indication that we get that she is second guessing her choice to kill Faith. That's really the only thing we get is the nuance in that one line delivery because seconds later she actually does stab Faith like twice in the gut and you know she doesn't really hesitate and then she immediately I guess you know the gravity sets in at this point because immediately after doing it she's just looking at Faith in horror she is frozen because, you know, Faith is able to be like, you did it, B. You killed me. And then she says some other, you know, obscure thing that I don't understand. Um, something about, you should have been there. It's a wild ride. Like, what are you talking about, wild ride? Um, and then she dives off the balcony into a moving truck. Um, and that's it. And the whole time, you know, this is a good like 15 second exchange at least after Buffy stabs her in the gut with the, her own knife and then she just kind of falls to the ground and stares at Faith like I can't believe what I just did you know she had every opportunity at that point to you know actually take Faith to Angel like she was planning this entire time but she doesn't do it she can't she's frozen she can't believe what she did so at least that is satisfying in retrospect, but it all happens so fast. Um, even though this is a two part episode, it almost all the things that they squeeze into these two episodes could have easily been three parts. You know, it's they rush a lot of scenes, I feel like, and this is definitely one of them. I think they definitely rushed the Xander and Buffy scene when he was trying to say, Hey, maybe don't do this. I think. You didn't, I think there was probably a whole sequence where, I mean, everybody should have been telling her not to do this, but you don't see any, it's basically Buffy's like, I can get, I can get a Slayer. I can get a Slayer right now. I'm going to go kill Faith. And then it goes to like a commercial break or something. And then you get that tiny little scene with Buffy and Angel or Buffy and Faith, 
Buffy and Xander. And that's all we get. You know, we should have seen an entire, we should have seen an entire scene of everybody telling Buffy not to do this. I mean, in this universe, a human killing a human is something you don't come back from. You know, that's the whole reason why Faith went to the dark side is because she accidentally killed a human. And now Buffy's about to go do it on purpose and no one's trying to stop her. That is big time bullshit. Big time bullshit. Okay? All right. As long as we're clear on that, we can move on. <laughs> um, then we get the quote of the episode. So the mayor is like eating his... Um, God, Harry... Greneg, Groneg, I don't know how you say his name, but the guy that plays the mayor is such an incredible actor. Like, he's eating this, you can see this, like, spider leg, and he's eating it, and he's got all this black, inky shit in his mouth, because he's just eating an entire gigantic spider. And the way that he's, like, pantomiming chewing this spider is so visceral, so realistic. He's so good and then he's just like i can feel it it's so powerful all my organs are merging and and then he's just so good he's just so good um and he goes on a dime when he's talking about getting ready for the ascension his organs are merging and it's so poetic and shakespearean and blah blah blah, blah. and then he just immediately turns on a dime and he's like Plus, they're high in fiber, so what's the fun in becoming a demon if you're not regular, am I right? You know, it just like switches. Oh, it's, it's just so enjoyable. One of the reasons why, I don't know if I would still say that season three is my favorite season. I used to say that, but watching it again in this context, I think I was saying that season three was my favorite season because I love Faith and I love the mayor so much. And I love that, you know, this is the season that you probably get the most of Oz. And I love Oz. But in retrospect, I don't know if I would still call this my very favorite season. We'll see. I don't think so, though. I think, I don't know, season six might come out on top. It might. I don't know. We'll see. Um, watching it again in this context really changes your perspective. Um, so I hope somebody's doing this with me, or if you haven't been, I would encourage it. If you've, especially if you, if you've never seen Buffy before, go ahead, binge watch it, go through the whole thing, watch it at whatever pace you want. Definitely don't do this kind of project the first time if you don't have to. But if you've seen Buffy several times before and you want to do this project with me of watching every episode 20 years later, um, it's, it's been a really interesting process. It has made me think about the show in a different way. And I think I'm, I'm getting a lot out of it. It's a lot of fun. So, um, if it's fun for me, it could be fun for you anyway. Um, so he's all that. And then somebody barges into the room to, and the mayor's reaction, and it's to tell him that, you know, something's happened at Faith's house, you know, but his reaction before he knows what's going on is we don't knock during dark rituals. <laughs> so that's the quote of the episode. Somehow I want to like work this into my daily life. I don't know how. I mean, basically if anybody barges into a room, I just want to say we don't knock during dark rituals. 
I just feel like I could, I could use the opportunity to say that. Like, at least to Michael. I could say it to him, like, five times a day, probably. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, and my very last note was, I honestly can't believe she did it. Because, I mean, I've already talked about that. I just really can't. I can't believe that she would do that. You know? It just doesn't make any sense to me that she would kill Faith. I mean, I get that she's mad at her. I get that, like, she over-identifies with Faith. And, you know, which is evident in the fact that she dressed like her. Um, I didn't really have any notes from any of my Buffy books. They didn't really have anything insightful to say about Graduation Day Part 1. Almost every one of my books references Graduation Day Part 2 a lot, but not Part 1. So I'll probably have a lot more Buffy research to give you two fucking months from now when we finally talk about that episode. But um, in my um, Bite Me episode guide by Nikki Stafford, she had a, a couple of interesting points, so I'll tell you those. Um, which I've kind of already talked about this, but, um, this is just a quote from her little thing. She didn't even write it in, she wrote like basically a page on this episode. Um, but anyway, it's interesting from a psychological perspective that Buffy wears Faith's clothes and trash talks her when she's about to kill her. Has she realized that she's become like Faith, willing to take a human life? And I mean, I think that's definitely what we're supposed to see here. She's dressing like Faith. She's giving Faith the validation that she has some of the same feelings as Faith, that she comes from the same place as Faith, that she is like her in some way. So she's doing that not only by, I mean, she basically prepared to kill Faith like it was a ritual. You know, she's like washing her face. She puts on clothes that she would never normally, that she wouldn't, I mean, I guess she wouldn't never normally wear red pants and a black shirt, but this is an outfit that's not typical for her. The rest of the episode, like at one point she was wearing that Buffy blue sweater with the Buffy blue tiny backpack and khaki and a khaki skirt. And then she also had a Buffy blue pea coat on earlier in the episode. So this entire episode, she's been dressing like, you know, innocent little Buffy blue. And now she's wearing black and red. So they're definitely drawing a huge contrast and they always do this with Buffy's outfits. Always. They always are saying something with what she's wearing. And I really like that about, you know, whoever made that decision on this show to put her in symbolic clothing. They almost always do that. And I really like that. But, um, so it's, it's definitely saying something that she's dressing like Faith. She's talking to Faith as if she's commiserating with her, finally, right before she decides to kill her. But then she realize, realizes, you know, it's too horrifying what she did. Even though she did it pretty much without hesitation, she's still horrified at herself that she did it. Um, yeah, okay, there was another point. Where is it? Oh yes, I noticed this when I was watching the episode. So 
Buffy is like when she's arguing with Wesley because he he called the council and they were just like no we will not help a vampire and Buffy's like well can you try to convince them can you try again and um, at one point she says I'm watching my lover die you know this isn't about vampires and ancient laws and blah 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 it's about watching my lover die and um in the background like Giles is in the background and you see him kind of react like a little bit and that was probably entirely the choice of Anthony Stewart head I doubt that they were trying to put that nuance into the episode but he does react a little bit like as if he's been hit just a little bit and that makes sense since Angel's the one that killed his lava so but it is pointed out Nikki Stafford noticed that as well she's like also Buffy is again the queen of insensitivity when she announces to Wesley that she's not going to sit and watch her lover die standing nearby is Giles whose lover was tortured and murdered by Buffy's lover in quotes the fact that he stands by her side makes him the noblest character on the show so true right so true okay let's go ahead and get into the ratings because I'm just like my voice is dry or something and I don't want to talk anymore <laughs> it's really hot in my tiny nook too I finally turned the air on this week because it was just so hot I'm gonna open my window earlier I had to close it before I started recording because my neighbors were being loud but it seems a lot quieter now so we'll just open the window that'll be nice okay let's get to the ratings um, I y'all know I like to pick one object from each episode of Buffy that I would like to pluck straight out of the episode to keep for myself for all time the object of the episode for this episode is I mean I kind of like in reality I definitely want Buffy's red pants however we are going to see them in the next episode so I will get a chance to pick that as my object for part two because surely once she reunites with Angel and she forces him to drink her blood in the next episode she's still wearing this outfit right maybe not I feel like she was wearing something white like does she change her fucking clothes before she goes to see Angel after she attempts to kill Faith I don't know anyway I'm not gonna pick her pants I'm going to pick Willow's smiley faced backpack because <laughs> it's just it would have to be like this kind of thing though it would have to be like I think it was like fuzzy you only see it for like a second but you know it's just a regular smiley face you know before emojis the smiley face look like a smiley face you know it's always looked like a smiley face <laughs> smiley faces have always been smiley imagine that the quote of the episode like I said before is the mayor saying we don't knock during dark rituals <laughs> I don't know why I just find that hilarious the outfit of the episode is Buffy's attempt at you know looking like Faith at the end it just I mean it's kind of a nondescript black shirt and just shiny red pants and like a nondescript leather jacket situation but it it still you know it had an impact and it said what it needed to say so that's definitely the outfit of the episode plus her ass looked great in those pants of course um 
MVP of the episode. I haven't actually decided that yet. Let's let's talk it out together, shall we? Of course, you could say Giles because he, you know, unflinchingly has Buffy's back. And you get to see that a lot in the last few episodes. I think that's probably the whole purpose of bringing another watcher into the mix because you get to see how loyal and faithful they are to each other, um, how much they respect each other. You get to see that in contrast to Wesley's presence often, often multiple times in an episode. So you could say that Giles is MVP. Xander does a lot of heroics in this episode. So does Oz. Um, really just the men shine in this Joss Whedon directed episode for sure. Um, and also the mayor, the mayor's really shining in this episode. God, who's MVP? I'm, I can't say Buffy because her decision to kill Faith is not okay with me. Not just because I like Faith either. Like doing it, no matter who, if she was choosing to kill a human in order to save Angel, I would not be okay with it. Well, I mean, I guess if it was just like a particularly awful misogynistic dude, I might be okay with it, but <laughs> I'm not okay. I'm not okay with that. So she doesn't get MVP. I don't know if anybody's most valuable player in this episode. Maybe we will postpone that decision and choose for the entire two-parter who the MVP is. I'm not going to do that with any of the other ratings though. So I guess I have to pick somebody for this episode. Ugh. Who's it going to be? Hmm. Let's give it to Cordelia. Why not? Um, I'd love to give it to Anya just for telling Xander she hopes he dies, but pretty much the entire episode all, well, but she is, she is the one that gives the information, some of the pertinent information about an ascension, but she does spend most of the episode just trying to date Xander. Like, ugh. let's give it to Cordelia. Because we barely get to see her in this episode, and we will never get to give it to her again after the next episode. And I doubt she's going to win MVP for Graduation Day Part 2. And she's going to be gone after that. I mean, we're going to talk about her still, because she will go on in Angel. But I don't think I'm going to give the same, like, ratings for an Angel episode. I don't know, maybe I will. But this might be our last chance to give it to Cordelia. And just because she tell Xander that she seldom, if ever, understands him. I mean, that's really all the Cordelia we get in this episode. We get two conversations between her and Xander, and that's it. But at least she's not fawning all over Wesley in this episode. We don't get a single moment of her fawning over Wesley in this episode. So, that's why she's most valuable player. <laughs> Whatever. It's kind of a stretch, but just like nobody was really that awesome in this episode. And I'm always giving this award to Giles. Like, he's gotten this award more than anybody, probably. So let's give it to Cordelia. Okay, I'm writing it down. It's official. 5 by 5 ratings. So y'all know I like to give a score out of 5 for two different parameters. 
one enjoyability of the episode in general and the other treatment of women in the episode so treatment of women it does pass the Bechtel test the only time it passes the Bechtel test is when Buffy is telling her mom to leave town we don't see a single conversation well no because Buffy and Faith Buffy and Faith talk to each other I mean they do talk about Angel but not the entire time so it passes the Bechtel test when Buffy and Faith talk to each other when they're about to kill each other and it passes the Bechtel test when she's demanding that her mom leave town but her and Willow don't have a single conversation in this episode together like at all they don't even like look at each other like nothing um almost every conversation this episode there's some between Xander and Giles um, between Oz and Willow, between Xander and Anya, Xander and Cordelia, Xander and Buffy. Xander's like the main character of this fucking episode. Faith and Mayor and, you know, yeah. It's almost all boy-boy-boy-girl boy, conversations, except for when Buffy talks to her mom and when Buffy talks to Faith. That is it. So, the Treatment of women really not great because Anya is portrayed as just being boy sick for Xander um Cordelia is just there uh Willow is just in Oz's world that's really she only interacts with Oz in this episode she doesn't interact with anyone else in this episode at all like I don't even think she has anything to say when they're all together in a group she's only interacting with Oz in this episode to my recollection recollection and I did just watch it but I do also have a terrible memory and that is not something that I was thinking about at the moment so it's possible that I'm wrong but um yeah so I'd say treatment of women in this episode is really not great because Buffy makes a decision to kill another woman to save her ex-boyfriend who has tortured and killed her friends before you know not great um so really that's it all we get is willow anya cordelia and buffy and faith but faith is doing the bidding of a dude and she's seeking the approval of a dude and she wears a pink frilly dress for a dude like almost everything in this episode has like an undercurrent of sexistness it's not super obvious but it's there so treatment of women I'm gonna give a two I mean it's not great it really isn't I mean I know I'm super picky but like call me picky I guess but I just want you know women's I just want women to be equal to men that's all I want equal that means women are not their decisions are not completely based on men not only is it are they not damsels in distress not only are they not help just helpful damsels but also their decisions need to mean be not completely motivated by men and in this episode almost every decision that every woman makes if she makes it on her own at all it's even like willow like at one point 
she's like doing some hacking research type thing and Oz is like making all these super complicated suggestions for things that she should do and so he's the one driving the plot there she's just sort of sitting there like doing what he's asking her to do and at one point she does say something like do you want to drive <laughs> um so it's not completely 100% sexist bullshit but it's just yeah yeah anyway I'm not super happy about that sorry I'm talking forever it's already we're already an hour and a half in <laughs> so two my rating as overall enjoyability of the episode it's hard to it's hard to decide that when it's a part one you know because especially with with two-parters in Buffy I feel like a lot of them are structured in this way that like the first part is kind of slower kind of setting things up kind of you know I think a lot more is going to happen I think the next episode is going to be a lot higher rated for me um but this episode overall just taken on its own like this which is how we have to do it since we can't watch part two until July it's just kind of, it's a little bit lackluster like I'm glad that um Oz and Willow finally got to consummate their relationship and it felt like a choice that was being made by both of them I mean Oz initiated it but um, it was something that I think Willow's been ready for for a while but you know anyway I'm glad that happened um, I, I don't know it's just I didn't really enjoy watching this this episode that much I mean it it just kind of felt like another episode to me I didn't of course I had a lot of emotional reactions to some things like I talked about I was able to talk about this episode for an hour and 45 minutes by the time I'm done with this I'm sure we'll be there but yeah I don't know like what what's the numerical value of kind of meh, meh, uh. <laughs> um I guess I'll give it a three I don't know because I feel very ambivalent so I guess giving it a middle of the road kind of um, let's say 2.5 actually if it were really gonna be in the middle so two times 2.5 this episode gets a five as its overall score so obviously I love it more than any other episode ever <laughs> anyway um, I hope you guys enjoyed at least some of this episode I know I spent a lot of time talking about things that weren't Buffy but let me know what you guys feel about that do you want me to just leave all the like what's up with mixtures kind of more personal stories out of my podcast episodes because I can do that if that's not something that you guys want to hear um, because I have my radio show where I tell all my personal stories and I have a blog and like there are other places I can put that if you would rather it not be here just let me know mixtressradio at gmail is where you can email me if you enjoy those weird personal stories then hey you can get a lot more of those on mixtress radio I have a weekly radio broadcast it's um, every Friday 7 to 10 central time 
Um, or if you don't can't tune in at the exact times, if you want to become one of my patrons at any level of giving, you get the Mixtress Radio broadcasts edited together, like the talking portions of the radio show. You get them edited together as a podcast on my Patreon every week and you can listen to whenever you want. So the way to become a patron, um, always super thankful for any of my patrons. And I try to put, I try to have special content up for your for you guys whenever I can. That is patreon.com slash mixtressray, M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E. And what else? I have a YouTube channel. I mostly just do like tarot videos on there right now. So if you're into tarot cards, um, check me out over there on YouTube. I'm also a mixtress ray. Um, yeah, I guess that's, that's my promotional shit. Um, I hope you guys have a great week. Um, okay. How let's discuss how we're going to, since we're not talking about graduation day part two for another two months, I am not going to leave you guys completely in the dark for two full months. I don't like to do that. If you're listening via real time, via real time in real time in 2019, I, I don't want to like not have a, have a podcast episode for two months. I don't have a plan in place for what we're going to talk about, but as is my custom, I like to at least, at the very least, post an episode for you guys every two weeks. So that means that um, likely, although two weeks from today is another day that I work all day. So I may, I may come back next week to talk to you guys about something and then start my two-week cycle from there, or I might come back in three weeks because three weeks from today, I will not be working so I can like talk to you guys. Anyway, whatever. I, it doesn't really probably matter that much to you guys. In any case, there will be an average of, I will at least have a podcast episode every two weeks until leading up to um, July when we get to come back and talk about graduation day part two. I don't know what we'll talk about. Like maybe I'll talk about a movie. There's a lot of movie anniversaries. There are a lot of really movies that made a big impact on, or, you know, had a big impact on me. A lot of movies that had a big impact on me came out in 1999. So I could talk about some of those, um, kind of as a 20 year anniversary sort of thing. Um, or we could, I could just, you know, do personal type podcasts like I do. Um, obviously if you're listening from the future and all, and you were just interested in the Buffy recap podcast, my Buffy recap podcast episodes are always titled with the Buffy episode title. So as long as you know what Buffy episode you feel like listening to, you can always skip over the stuff in the middle. If you have the benefit of listening to this from the future where you don't actually have to wait two months to listen to the next episode, um, of Buffy. So yeah, I will not leave you guys for two months. I promise we may have to wait that long to talk about the second part of this two part episode, but I won't leave you just completely silent for that long. I will be back. Um, probably June 1st will be the next time I um, put a podcast episode up. So I hope you guys are doing well and I hope you will be doing very well in the two weeks until I talk to you next. Um, unless you feel like hearing my voice sooner than that. Of course, you can always listen to Mixtress Radio or become one of my patrons and you can listen to, I've got tons of episodes on there. 
<laughs> of just me talking about my own personal bullshit, which we all got, right? <laughs> personal bullshit. So um, now that I've said personal bullshit, I guess it's time to end the episode. <laughs> Real graceful segue, right? Um, so I'll see you guys in two weeks. Bye.